Acts chapter 2, um, we've been reminded in several messages recently on this subject about uh, discipleship objectives. I, I kind of repeat this every time, and bear with me, but I think it's um, worth remembering. We have a number of different lessons, series of lessons, lots of them. And there are lots of them available, teaching people the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. All that's good. Uh, but I just thought it'd be good to sort of summarize the basic objectives, not in every specific doctrine. And uh, tonight we'll look at one of those. We, the first one was that we would be, uh, a disciple needs to be established in his new identity, in who he is. He's, he's not the old person, he's a new person. Still has the old man living with him. But we've been given, just like we just heard in that song of Bailey's, you know, I'm not the man I used to be. Thank God for that. And then we, our next lesson was about, we, last Sunday night, about being established in the Word of God. We, the Bible's the basis of our Christian faith. We want to grow in faith, grow in knowledge. And so tonight I want to take a third objective, and I find it in our text, Acts chapter 2. And if you're able to stand with us, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at the end of the chapter. It's a very long chapter. We'll talk about some of the things earlier in the chapter. But let's just begin in verse 41. A great day in the life of the church in Jerusalem. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 converts were baptized. They were saved and they were baptized. They weren't saved when they were baptized. They were saved and then they were baptized. And when they were baptized, they were added unto them. They were added to the church there in Jerusalem. Verse 42 says, And they, these new converts... They, the church there in Jerusalem, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. It's a great passage, isn't it? A great day, a good pattern for all of us, for every church. Our Father, we thank you for your word again, and we pray that you would help us as we go through it tonight to receive from you what you have for us. Lord, we know that it's your word, divinely inspired and divinely preserved for us that we could read it. We thank you for the Spirit of God who dwells in your people that we can be taught the Bible by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so do that tonight, we pray. And God, help us to grow in grace. Help us, Lord, to receive what you have for us and put it to practice in our lives. Help us to be as a church and individual members of the church what you would have us to be in this very, very challenging and unique opportunity. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Tonight I want to talk about the disciple established in the church. We talk about establishing in his new identity established in the Word of God, and established in the local church. When I use the word local with church, I use it simply for clarification. I don't, we shouldn't have to say local church because all the churches in the Bible were local churches. 
There is no universal church in the Bible. There's no invisible body of Christ in the Bible. All the churches, the church is a local assembly. The word church is translated from the Greek word ekklesia. And an ekklesia is an assembly. You may or may not know this, but the word ekklesia is not a religious word. It's just a, it was a Greek word, a Greek word that was used commonly in the, in the first century to describe people who gathered together assembled for, for purposes. It was used in the book of Acts to describe like a, a governing assembly, like we would call a town council or, or a city council. It was an assembly. So you can't have a church that doesn't assemble. It doesn't exist. Now, I know a lot of people believe that and teach that, but it's not in the Bible. So, so we, we, what we find here is a local assembly in Acts chapter 2. And so we're talking about the disciples established in the church. Now, this, most of you are familiar with this setting. You know, it's the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Um, the disciples were had been assembling. Jesus, Jesus met with his disciples um, and after he raised from the dead and gave them what we commonly call the, the Great Commission. And, and then he told them before he ascended into heaven, he told them to stay there in Jerusalem and, before, and, and receive power from on high and then they would go out and evangelize the world. So they were meeting there. Jesus showed himself alive in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says for 40 days by many infallible proofs. And then he ascended into heaven and he told them, you stay and wait for the Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church to empower them on the day of Pentecost. We know how long they prayed because... From 40 days to Pentecost would have been 10 days. The word penas, 50 days after the Passover. And it was, so they had been praying and waiting on the Lord for 10 days as Jesus had instructed them to. And in Acts chapter 2, in the early part of the, church, uh, the chapter, the Spirit of God came. And then Peter preached this great message in Acts chapter 2. Let's just look at the beginning and ending of it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And he begins this tremendous sermon, message that he preached to those that were listening. At the end of the sermon, if you look in verse 37, um, or verse 36 is, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter told them, You need to repent, be born again. They trusted Christ, 3,000 of them got saved. Isn't that an amazing thing? And then they got baptized and added to the church. And in this text we just read, and we're going to come back to this later, we see what was going on in the church. That ver those verses, verse 42 and following. These were the disciples. These were people that got saved and they were immediately immersed into church life. Now don't, that's that's not just my opinion. That's what the Bible says. They were immediately introduced to a new community, to living and serving and growing and worshiping and learning in the context of the church. Now, you could take verses 42 to 47, and you could read those things, and we're going to go through it again in a moment, and you could see a lot of good things for new Christians to do. They were praising God. A Christian ought to worship God. They were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. A new Christian ought to grow in the Bible and learn doctrine. They were caring for one another. You see all these things, and, and you, could, you, could, you could practice all those things and emphasize all those things, but if you leave out this one important factor, and that is they were in the church, you miss the whole point. 
And by the way, lots of people today emphasize all these other things, worshiping and studying and caring for one another, but they leave out the church. And when you leave out the church, you leave out one of the most important things there is. They were established in the church. When you look in the apostle, in the epistles, the teaching of the apostles, the writings of the apostles, you see what churches lived like. The, the, the book of Philippians was written to a church, a, a letter, an epistle to a church. The book, the book of Ephesians was written to a church. First and second Thessalonians was written to a church. First and second Corinthians was written to a church. The, the little book of Philemon was written to people who served and lived in a church. I mean, you see what church life looks like. You see churches that were strong. You see churches that were struggling. You see churches that were dealing with their problems, churches that were missionary-minded. You see churches that needed help dealing with their problems, but you see church life. I was uh, counseling with someone this week, and not, not someone that's here, and I told them this, and I believe this. I said, the three most important decisions you will ever make in your life the three most important decisions you will ever make in your life. Number one is to be saved. To turn from your sin and receive Christ as Savior and be born again. The second most important decision you'll ever make in your life, and, and that's your life partner. Who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. That's a big deal. And you ought to do that with much prayer and guidance and help from your parents or counsel and seeking God. That's an important decision. And I think most people would agree with those two things. The third thing I'm going to mention, some people may never think of. I think the third most important decision you'll ever make in your life, more important than your vocation, even more important than your educational career, I think the most important other decision you'll make is the church that you belong to. You know why I say that? It's because God himself is supposed to make that decision for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says that the Lord adds people to the body as it pleases him. That's why it should be made with a lot of prayer, seeking the Lord, because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very important decision. People might, I, know, I know people don't agree with that, but people have the right to be wrong. Right? When, when, when God put this little pinky on this body, he, he, he gave me that pinky. He gave me that finger. He added that to my body. He made it. I was fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? He knew all of my parts even before I was born. And I'm not saying I would never give up that pinky, but it wouldn't be easy. You know why? It's a part of my body. And when God adds, I think God ought to add people to the body. And I don't mean that He physically puts you there, but He leads you, He directs you, you pray about it. And, and, it's, and that's why I thank God when He adds people to the body, don't you? I believe it's a spiritual decision. It's one made with a lot of prayer. Because, because in, it's in this context of the church that we see God working in, in unique ways. Now I'm going to do something um, maybe more for my benefit than anyone else's. But I just want to look at a little survey here with this subject in mind and about the church. And we're going to come back to Acts chapter 2 when we wrap this up. But let's just look at a few places. In Acts chapter 9, for instance, let's, now come, we're going to come back to Acts 2. You might want to mark that. But in Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, it says, this, this was after uh, Paul had gotten saved, Saul of Tarsus had gotten saved. It said in verse 31, then had the churches, plural, rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now when we read in Acts chapter 2, there was only one church. That was the church in Jerusalem. That was the church that Jesus 
started during his earthly ministry. That was the church that was empowered on the day of Pentecost. By the time we get to, and by the way, in Acts chapter 8, we see that those members of that church were scattered. There was a great persecution, some of it led by the Paul that we just mentioned, who just got saved. And these people were scattered abroad, and they began to go everywhere preaching the gospel. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, there are churches established in Judea, that's where Jerusalem is, up north in Galilee, where Nazareth is, the Sea of Galilee, and that region in between Judea and, and Galilee, Samaria. And these churches are walking in the fear of the Lord. We just see the importance of churches in Acts chapter 11. In verse 22, the gospel has been preached by these scattered disciples. The gospel has been preached up in the northern, in, in, in a place, a region of Syria, where Damascus would be, Syria. And there's a town there called Antioch. And it tells us in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22, then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So there's a group of people in Antioch that are hearing the gospel, and they're responding to the gospel. And word got to the church in Jerusalem down south that something exciting is happening up in Syria. and Not just in Judea and Samaria and, and Galilee, but in Syria of all places. People are responding to the gospel. And the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas up there, that he would go up there and begin to work with those people. And that's what we read about in Acts chapter 11. If you look in verse 26, uh, this is after Barnabas went and got Saul and Tarsus and brought him alongside to help him. Verse 26, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church. Now a church has been established in Antioch and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now this is not incidental, and most of our people know this, but it's good to be reminded. This is not incidental. This is the way God works. He works in a church to start another church, to help start another church. He works in and through churches. If you look in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, now the church is at Antioch, has become a powerhouse. Two of the people who were in the church are Paul and Barnabas. There are other people mentioned there. And the church at Antioch, God worked on that church to send them out as missionaries. And they begin to travel. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23. This is near the conclusion of the first missionary journey. And it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. So churches are being established now in other regions, Lystra and Iconium and different places, Derby. The gospel is going forward. Churches are being established in Acts chapter 14. In verse 27, Paul and Barnabas came back to the church at Antioch, and they gathered the church together and reported about all that had been happening. So that's missionaries reporting to churches. By the way, next Sunday evening, uh, Larry Morgan, missionary uh, to Ghana, West Africa, is going to be with us reporting to supporting churches. We find that in the Bible. That's the way it's supposed to. Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you glad you get to do missions the way the Bible says? And I would say amen to that. Look in Acts chapter 15 in verse 3. There was a situation that was going on in verse 3 says and being brought on their way by the church so Paul and Barnabas are going to go down to Jerusalem and deal with the thing and notice what it says there in verse 3 and being brought on their way by the church who was it that supported them as they went down there who was it that funded them being brought on their way by the church it was the church that was enabled them to do that in verse 22 of Acts chapter 15, it says, Then it pleased, or been pleased it, the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. We see again the church making decisions, the church being involved. In verse 41 of Acts chapter 15, and this is after Paul and Barnabas split up, go separate ways, and Paul took Silas, 
who traveled with him. And in verse 41, he says he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches, working with the churches. And then in Acts chapter 16, if you look in verse 5, it says this, he went to Derby and that Derby and Lystra, and that's when Timothy joined up with, with Paul and began to travel with him. And it says in verse 5, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in numbers daily. So what do you, what do you surmise from all of that? You know, what do we learn from all of that? We learned that the churches were in that time and should be in this time the center of God's work, the center of discipleship and evangelism locally and internationally. If you took the New Testament, you just looked at the New Testament and just went through the books of the New Testament, virtually the entire New Testament is God through writers communicating to churches. I said earlier, Corinth and Galatians and, and Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians, all these were churches. You take the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. These letters were explicitly given to church leaders, to apostles who were starting churches and there were instructions about how God's churches were to be organized and how they were to function. The epistle of James, that's not a, a, a letter written to a church, but it was written by James, who was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem, Prayer practical matters. I'm just saying, if you were to take the doctrine, the instruction, the activity of churches out of your New Testament, hardly anything would be left. Now, why do we take the time to mention that? Because if a person is going to be a disciple, they need to be established in their new identity, who they are in Christ. They need to be established in the Word of God, what the Bible is. And they need to be established in the local church. I mean, it, even in the book of Revelation, the first, uh, second, and third chapters are all about local churches, local assemblies. Paul called the church the pillar and ground of the truth. So in my mind, it's indisputable that in the New Testament, the church had a, such an integral part of the work of God. Now, if you go to this church, if you remember this church, if you pay attention in this church, you hear this emphasized fairly often, but you don't hear this emphasized a lot of places because a lot of people treat the church like it's sort of incidental. You can live with it. You can live without it. You can do the work of missions with a church or without a church. But I want to tell you, that's not what the Bible teaches. As central as this is to the New Testament, people don't always, you know, emphasize it like I think it should be emphasized. You know, we, there's, there's a lot of... Still is a lot, but there was even more uh, debate about our church is essential during this pandemic. Our church is essential. I mean, um, that's why they, they were, I think they were discriminating against churches in some re regards. They were closing, closing down churches and letting you go to the tattoo parlor, letting you go to the liquor store, closing down churches. Church, hey, if any place ought to be open, it ought to be churches. So... But that doesn't surprise us because those are worldly politicians and talking heads, most of that. But what's really concerned is when people of faith treat the church like it's non-essential. You, and I, I just challenge you to do this. I just did a little survey. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 when I'm talking. I, I just did a little survey of the book of Acts, but I, it was an eye-opener to me. This was one of the great eye-openers in my life in ministry. Many years ago, when I began to really understand the role of the churches in the New Testament, and um, I don't, we don't worship the church. We worship the Lord. But he loved the church and gave himself for it. And he promised this to a church to his church in the Gospel of Matthew. When he was teaching them about dealing with problems, and he said to them, 
in the, in Acts, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, he said, if you have an issue, go to that person, try to get worked out. And if, if it didn't work it out, take it to somebody and get some help and try to work it out. And if you try everything else and you can't work it out, then he said, take it to the church. They already knew, he already was assembling his church. Take it to the church and deal with it. And then he said this. Where to the church, he said this about the church. He didn't say that about you and your friend on the golf course or down at the creek. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Show me any other organization, any other convention, anybody, anywhere where Jesus said, when you get together, I myself will be there with you. He said that about the church. Isn't that good? Not good because I said it, it's good because he said it. It's God's word. So I think it's important for disciples to be established in the church. Now in Acts chapter 2, hope you're there now. Let's just take a quick look, and it'll be a quick look, at life in the New Testament church, in the Jerusalem church, this local assembly. Just quickly noting what we read a moment ago. Verse 42 what were they doing? They were in Acts chapter 2, 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In that church, there's Bible teaching, there's Bible preaching, and there's Bible learning. They're continuing steadfastly, steadfast adherence to the teaching of the Word of God. That's, that's, that's what takes place in the church. And verse 42 says, and there was fellowship. That means that they were, there was connections, belonging in the church. They're making friendships. They're building relationships. It's in the Bible. They were fellowshipping together. And it says in breaking of bread, they were eating together. Now that could be the Lord's Supper. We're not, there's two references. This is a good Baptist book. There's two references in this to, to breaking bread. One of them is the Lord's Supper and one of them is eating, but either way, it's very Baptist. I have the Lord's Supper and to eat. And in prayers, they're praying together as a church body. They're praying together. They're seeking the Lord. They're sharing their concerns. They're sharing prayer requests. This is, this is not just something that we come up with. This is God's plan, that we have this snapshot of church life. And then it says in verse 43, fear came upon every soul. There's a, and that's not talking about just terror. That's talking about the fear of God, a, res, a reverence. There was a reverence, a respect. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. The apostles were performing miracles. And you should, God still performs miracles. I feel like I always have to say this. God still performs miracles, but no one has the gifts of miracles now like the apostles did. Those gifts, if you study the Bible, the gifts of the apostle, were, that's the, the phrase, the terminology that was used about them was to authenticate their ministry and the word of God. And then it says in verse 44, and all that believed were together and had all things common. They're involved in each other's life. They're engaged with one another. They're helping each other. Look in verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. This is church life. This is caring for one another, ministering to one another, loving one another. It says in verse 46, and they, con they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. At this time, they were still going to the temple. These were Jews that got saved. They were still going to the temple, but they were, they were assembling as a church as well. But the thing I want to emphasize in verse 46 is they were in one accord. They were unified. They're, they're involved with each other. They're unified. They're working as a team. And here's that breaking bread in verse 46, from house to house. There's hospitality. They're, they're spending time with each other, not just at church. They're spending time with each other, getting to know each other, caring for one another, having Bible studies, I'm sure, in their homes. Verse 46, and here again it is. They're eating. There's three references to eating. Tell me these people weren't Baptists. Did eat their meat with gladness. 
They were happy eating their meat. These were not sad eaters. These were glad eaters. They were rejoicing. I'll tell you, the darker this world gets, the more upside down the world gets. I find that the greatest happiness and joy I have is around God's people, and particularly in God's house, worshiping the Lord. They had gladness, and there's a phrase at the last part of verse 46, you'll notice, with singleness of heart. Devoted, not double-minded, singleness of heart. They were focused. They had families. They had jobs. They had responsibilities. But they were not double-minded. Their, their focus was on the Lord and serving the Lord. By the way, that's the way it ought to be. We, we, I mean, everybody's, none of us are perfect. We're all going, hopefully, in a, in a good direction, seeking the Lord and wanting to become more like Him. But we don't subscribe to this idea that we're, you know, we're Christians on Sunday, but the rest of the week we just kind of do what, we, we kind of discard, put our Christianity on the shelf. We don't believe that. We're Christians every day, all day. And we come together on Sunday to be encouraged, be edified, to study the Bible together, to worship God together. So there's singleness of heart in that worship, word worship. Look in verse 47, they were praising God. There's corporate worship, praising God together. You, you know that we ought, to be, we, ought to, we ought to praise the Lord every day, right? We ought to praise the Lord every day. We ought to get into the word every day. We ought to pray every day. But there's something special when you come together and worship God. It ought to be special. It's not special because we try to make it special. It's special because it is special. We're worshiping God. They were praising God. And notice this, having favor with all the people. That's not just among themselves. That's in the community. They had a positive influence on the community. You know, one of the most positive influences in a community ought to be God's people. And then it says this. Verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. That's not last because it's least important. It just, it's last because that's what's going to happen. Evangelism is taking place and people are getting saved. Church is growing, people are getting saved. Now this is what church should be. This is what a disciple should be a part of. And I, it's encouraging when you see this. You see people growing. You see people learning. You know, we have a number of different people uh, that are being discipled. Bible studies that are going on presently. People are, people are growing in the Lord. People are wanting to get close. That's the way it ought to be. This is church life. This is the life of a disciple. And so this is what a church ought to be. If you want to take a little uh, snapshot of what a church of a pattern for a good church. There it is right there. Take your, pic, take your phone, take a picture of that and say, this is, this is what I want. This is the kind of church I want. By the way, that's the kind of church I want. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. It's the way church ought to be. But, but, so we're talking about being established in the local church. So let's personalize this and then we'll wrap this up. You know, what makes... A church strong. What makes a strong church? These things make a church strong. You know, a lot of times people are thinking about how, where can we put a church? How could we have a church? How could this church be stronger? And they think about location. Location matters. I don't think it's the most important thing. Obviously, visibility helps. I'm glad for the for the visibility, the exposure we have here. But that doesn't itself make that doesn't even make for a strong church. Maybe it's the facilities. I'm thankful for our facilities. I appreciate all the work that our church put into this, making this possible. And, and that matters. I think it's nice to come to a nice facility and, you know, have an air conditioner that freezes people out, right? It's nice stuff. But that's not what makes for a strong church. I mean, the preaching and teaching is a part of it. The music is a part of it. Being friendly, being inviting, being welcoming, having ministries, that's a part of it. The messaging, any advertisement, that all matters. I don't think any of those things 
are, are unimportant. I'm just saying that's not really what makes a church what it is. Ch- the church's doctrine matters. The church's mission or purpose, those things matter. But a thing that over, gets overlooked a lot of times, and that's what we're emphasizing tonight, and that's the membership. The church's members. The church is not a building. People may say, well, I'm going to go down to the church. I say that sometimes. I'm going to go over to the church. But this, is, this building is not the church. The church is an assembly of people. The church is individuals. You, most of you, not all of you, but many of you are this church. And by the way, anybody that's a member of this church is just as much a part of this church as I am or anybody else. I'm just one member. I know sometimes people put a lot of emphasis on the pastor or on the music or things of that nature, and there's nothing wrong with having leadership. We need leadership. God designed it to be that way. But the church is you. People make up the church. If we, we're not going to do this, but if we were to just vacate this building and, and, and sell this building to some social club and they take it over, it's not a church anymore. And we could go meet under a tree somewhere. That's where the church would be because the church is you. I know theologically that most of us believe that. Maybe all of us believe that. But practically, I think sometimes we overlook the importance of this. You know what a church is going to really be like? A church is going to be like the people that make up that assembly. It's not just because the pastor believes a certain thing or acts a certain way or emphasizes a certain thing. For the church to be worshipful, the church members must be worshipers. Right? The church is you. I'm gonna, I think maybe we ought to just start just every week putting a different face. I'm looking at all these people. Put them on our website and say, there's the church, Mount Zion Baptist Church. I'm glad for our church, but every pastor wants the church to be better. But you know what makes the church better? When people are willing to grow and improve. Do we have programs? Sure we do. But you know what? People, get to de- people, if you're not careful, get to depending on the programs and depending on the music and, and coming to church like spectators. I want to I come and be blessed. I want to come and be entertained. I want to come and feel good when I leave. And we ought to feel good sometimes when we leave if we didn't get our toes stepped on too much. But we ought to be saying, how can I make this church better? How can you make this church better? I've said this many times here and in a lot of other places. What if every member, think about this, what if every member of the church was just like me? What kind of church would it be? What if every member of this church was just like you, had the same kind of devotional life, the same kind of heart for God? The same kind of servant spirit. What if, every, what if every member of the church was just like you? Would this church be stronger or weaker? He said, well, I enjoyed this sermon until about five minutes ago. <laughs> well, you can make this church better by having a better attitude about the preaching. <laughs> if people become self-centered, if people get distracted by the things of the world, if people get complacent and lethargic and half-hearted or judgmental or critical, the church becomes that. Because the church is what people are. If people are hungry for the truth, if people are desiring to grow, if people have a heart for God, if people are wanting to serve the Lord, the church becomes like that. 
If people are hypocritical, if people are insincere, it affects the church. If people are people of prayer and seek the Lord and they care for one another and see how they can help one another, the church is going to reflect that. A disciple needs to be established in the church. I don't think you can really be I'm not saying you can't start off in discipleship. I don't think you can be a true disciple, a follower of Jesus, and leave the church out of your life. There's too much in the Bible that says otherwise. I'll tell you the church. I'm talking about church now, not just this church. And I'm not talking about a universal church. I'm talking about local assemblies, the church as an institution. Churches have never been more needed than they are today. In my lifetime, they've never been more relevant. Disciples need to know this. Disciples need to know what the church is. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage will make you a car. It doesn't, that doesn't work that way. But coming to church with the right kind of attitude and the right kind of heart, eager to learn, ready to serve, will make you a better Christian. Amen. We want disciples to know the role the church has. The church is not incidental. I know people probably would take, if, you could, if they could get inside my head, inside my heart, and see how I feel about the importance of the church, they would probably say, I'm a, I worship the church, I've taken it to an extreme. I don't believe that. I just believe, I believe the Bible. I believe what the Bible teaches. We want disciples to know how each one of us are vital to the church and how vital the church is to each one of us. And how that each of us can improve the church and its mission. We're just one little congregation in one booming, thriving metropolis. Right? Parkway Village, population 250. But you know what? We have a purpose. And Jesus is the head of every local assembly. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. This is not my church or your church. It's his church. And he has a mission. He has a vision. He has a purpose for every church. And I think these are challenging times. Churches have always faced challenging times. I mean... I'm not talking about in America necessarily, but I'm talking about in church history. You think well, these are challenging times. This is nothing compared to some of the challenges that God's people have had to go through and endure. So we've navigated and are navigating through this the best we know how to with God's help and God's grace. But as I've said numerous times lately, we can't just take and put our mission on hold and say, you know, when the pandemic's over and we have the government's permission, we're going to start being more serious. No, we need to be serious all the time. That doesn't mean we're inconsiderate. It doesn't mean we're rude. It doesn't mean that we don't take the virus seriously. Hey, I could read you right now a list of names that I know personally, people that are at death's door that are dealing with this virus. I don't believe, like some people, that it's just another flu. It's, it's more than that. I know that for a fact. My wife and I today, or yesterday, found out someone that we know secondhand. The, the only people we know personally that have just got going through, two people in the same family going through the virus for the second time, much worse than the first time. I'm just telling you it's real. But God's still on his throne. And he still walks in the midst of his churches. And we have every reason to believe that he, and he is, he's going to bless and lead us and guide us and use us. And so, I would venture to say tonight that there are people sitting here who are members of this church, who like this church. No one made you come. We don't pay you to come, obviously. 
but you see yourselves more as a spectator than a participant. If that's what we needed, we could do like they do at, at sports now. We would just put these cardboard pictures of people and we'd play, it, we'd play something that just says amen at the right time. <laughs> no, we need living, breathing, participating worshipers of God. Bodies, living members of the body of Christ. And you might just be wondering this, because how does a person become a member of this church? You, you have to be saved. You're supposed to have a testimony of salvation and be scripturally baptized. And we welcome new members, right? But it's not a social club. It's not a religious society. It's a body of born-again believers united with, with the Bible is our, our guidebook, and Jesus is our head. He's our leader in a world that needs to hear the gospel. And so disciples need to be established in the Lord's church, in the local church, in the church. Established in their new identity, established in the Word of God, established in the church. You know, this is not everybody's story, but this is many people's story here tonight. And this is our story. When we first started attending a church in Mesquite, Texas, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, 3300 La Prada. We were as lost in so many ways as, as people could be. We weren't looking for church. We were, we were looking for help. And someone invited us to go to their church. And I didn't invite us, they invited her. If they'd invited me, I could have never gotten her to go, cause, but she has more influence on me. So they invited her, and she, and she probably twisted my arm in some way. I don't remember that detail. But we started going. And, we, and, and all that we looked at right here was in that church. They, were, they loved each other. They cared about sinners. They preached the Bible. Ralph Gossett would preach, his face would get so red and the veins would bulge out on his neck. You could tell when he was getting serious. He didn't, no secret about it. One of the most influential men in my life was a man by the name of Ross Ralston. He was an usher, a greeter. Never opened his Bible in my presence, but he made me feel, he made this long-haired hippie feel welcome. He said, it's good to see you again today. You know what? You could do that. You may not teach a Sunday school class or sing in the choir, but you could get out of your seat and go to somebody someday and just say, hey, we're so glad you're here today. That in itself would be a big step for some people, but it'd be a good step. I'm not making this up. He helped me. Eventually, the gospel had its way in us. Our lives were changed. I didn't know any of the things that I'm teaching to you tonight, but I was blessed to be birthed into the family of God in the community of sincere Christians. That's a great blessing. It's a great blessing, isn't it? God's good. Don't ever treat the church like it's incidental, non-essential. Well, we don't have anything else to do today. Let's go to church. Don't, that's not the way we're supposed to live. This is a special place not because of this building, but because of these people. Amen? God's good. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you can't get in the church till you get saved. I believe there's some people that God's working on about their salvation. Some people in this room I pray for regularly.
You say, why? Because I'm not sure they're saved. I want to see, see fruit in their life. I pray God will just make people uncomfortable till they get right. Amen? And if you're here and you're saved, well, I know I'm saved. Well, take this to heart. Say, hey, I'm going I'm to be the best Christian, the best church member. I'm going to do what I can to make, make God's purpose and God's will in this place realized. What if everybody in this room took that as seriously as we ought to? What a difference it might make in our lives and in our community and our families. Amen. Let's stand together, please. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just think seriously about this subject for a few moments? The church, the importance of it. Thank God for it. Maybe you never even stop and thank God for your church family and, and how God's helped you through the church. We ought to do that sometimes. I certainly do. Maybe tonight you need to be saved. I'm telling you, God's ready to save anybody that'll come to him tonight. You ought to come to him if you're not sure you're saved. Our Father, we truly thank you tonight for your word. We wouldn't know what to believe if it wasn't for the Bible. God, help us tonight as your people. Help me as a child that belongs to you, can call you my father. Help me, Lord, to be what you'd have me to be. Help us, all of us. Help Help us as members of this church to be what you'd have us to be. Help us to live out what we see in our Bibles. Help us to grow in the grace of God. Help us to be an influence in this community. We think there of those verses in Acts chapter 2 where it's clear that the church had the respect of the community. We pray for that. We pray, God, you'd help us to influence others for right, for truth, and for salvation.